welcome to the Redress podcast with me, Sarah Khan. I'll be bringing you the latest in our effort to obtain justice for survivors of torture, as featured in our monthly newsletter. Redress has written to the Attorney General of Sudan and UN experts to highlight that measures adopted to protect against COVID-19 should not be a pretext for the unjustified release of perpetrators of serious international crimes. Redress has highlighted in particular the cases of former dictators Hissan Habre of Chad and Omar al-Bashir of Sudan. Habre ruled Chad with an iron fist from 1982 to 1990, during which as many as 40,000 people were killed and more than 200,000 were subjected to torture. In April, he was granted a two-month release from a Senegalese prison where he is serving a life sentence for crimes against humanity, war crimes and torture. Al-Bashir, who is wanted by the International Criminal Court to face trial for war crimes and crimes against humanity in Sudan, has requested his release or transfer to house arrest. The director at Redress, Rupert Skilbeck, outlined just how the COVID-19 outbreak could be used to evade justice. We have to acknowledge that COVID-19 has caused real problems in many prisons all around the world, what we are seeing here is that individual prisoners are trying to be considered differently to the general population. And these are prisoners who've either been convicted of international crimes like Hissin Habre, or who've been convicted of corruption and are facing very serious allegations of international crime, such as former President Bashir of Sudan. In those two cases, they've used their strong positions in the establishment or previous positions in the establishment to try and argue that they should be either released early or released under house arrest. This isn't appropriate, as you have to consider the rights of victims of international crimes to see that justice is done. And what that means is that they will need to serve out the whole of their sentences, rather than being released before they've really even started them. Redress's legal advisor Charlie Loudon recently took part in a webinar on what justice and accountability mean for Sudan and its displaced peoples one year on from the massacre in Khartoum, Sudan's capital. In that massacre, over 120 people lost their lives. Bodies were dumped in the River Nile. Dozens were raped and hundreds were injured. Charlie, what would it mean for Sudan's future if al-Bashir were released or granted house arrest? Al-Bashir is currently serving a two-year sentence for corruption and illicit financial gains in Sudan. Sudan has a duty to protect the health of any prisoners under its detention from COVID-19. And it's important that it does so in al-Bashir's case but it's crucial for ensuring justice for Bashir's victims that he remain in custody at all times. If he doesn't, there's a risk that, like many of the other perpetrators of international crimes in Sudan, he might abscond to other countries such as Egypt or Turkey, where it would be much more difficult to extradite him back to Sudan from. There's currently a discussion about where al-Bashir should face trial. He's been wanted by the International Criminal Court for many years, for his role in the crimes committed during the conflict in Darfur by government forces and their allied Janjaweed militia. These included acts of murder, extermination, torture and rape. Why is it important that Sudan surrenders al-Bashir to the ICC? Speaking to our clients and our partners in Sudan, their opinions actually differ on whether they think Bashir should be tried by the ICC or by the Sudanese courts or by some combination of the two. Some of them have the view that the Sunnis courts aren't ready yet to try such serious crimes and that Bashir should go to the ICC. 
Others have the opinion that it's important for the Sudanese people that justice be done in Sudan where the crimes took place. But they all agree, as do we, that the, the crucial thing is that Bashir is subject to a trial that is able to grapple properly with the magnitude of the crimes he was responsible for in Darfur. And a trial that has proper due process, one that protects the rights of victims, uh, but also the rights of the accused. The conviction of ex-Chadian dictator Hissan Habre in Senegal in 2016 was a huge victory for victims after fighting for justice for 26 years. In separate judgments, a court in Chad in 2015 and a special court in Senegal in 2016 ordered compensation to thousands of victims under his regime of approximately £235 million. It was the first time a dictator had ever been convicted of crimes against humanity by the courts of another country. However, more than four years later, victims have still not received any reparations after his conviction. Julie Bardesh, legal advisor at Redress. Julie, why is Redress calling for the African Union and the international community to support Habre's victims' rights to reparations? In the 1980s, the Hissan Habre regime committed gross violations of the rights of thousands of persons in Chad. They systematically made use of torture, sexual and gender-based violence, and committed many other violations. Reparations were ordered not only by the Senegalese court, but also by the Chadian courts themselves against other members of the regime, who, by the way, are still free. Denying survivors of their right to reparations, well, that's tantamount to denying them of their most basic rights. They are being re-victimized. Most of them don't even have access to basic services or livelihoods. A few have already passed away. Reparations are essential to the recognition of the harm done to them. While it would not take away that harm, it would help them move forward. This is why Redress is calling on the African Commission, the African Union, and the international community to support the right to reparations for the victims of Isanabre and push for the implementation of the Trust Fund's mandate. On the 11th of June, Redress hosted a webinar on how to advance LGBT plus rights through strategic litigation in light of the landmark ruling won by Redress and its partners back in March at the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. It was concerning the case of Azul Rahas Marin, who in 2008 was arbitrarily arrested by Peruvian police when she identified as gay. She was tortured, abused and raped. After 11 years of seeking justice, the Inter-American Court found Peru responsible for her torture and ordered measures to eradicate systemic discrimination against the LGBT plus community, a decision that will no doubt reverberate beyond the Americas. Our legal advisor, Chris Estelle, spoke about the implications the historic ruling will have on the LGBT plus community. Firstly, there are some key legal changes that are brought in by her case decision. The case changes the way the inter-American human rights system considers discriminatory torture. So, for example, if an LGBT person is detained and there's no apparent reason for the detention, if there are signs of discrimination having taken place, 
like insults or discriminatory abuse, this would make the detention arbitrary. The second thing is that the case clarifies that states have a duty to investigate violence motivated by discrimination against members of the LGBT community, including a duty to investigate the discrimination element itself. And that last bit is important. We're talking here about investigating the discrimination element, not just the violence. As a result of um, what the court has, uh, has ordered, Peru has to, for example, adopt a, a protocol, a, a, a details of how an investigation and how justice should be administered during criminal proceedings for cases of violence against LGBTI people. One of the points discussed in the webinar was the various forms of discriminatory torture. With 70 countries still criminalising same-sex relations and certain forms of gender expression, how else will Redress and its global partners intend to tackle discriminatory torture against LGBT plus communities? I think the first thing that we will need to do is to continue to collaborate with our partners, um, including on the implementation of the Assault Judgment, to make sure that Peru does what it has been ordered to do. Uh, work does not stop with the judgment in uh, the case. And I suppose the final thing that I'd say that we will be doing is to continue to bring strategic cases on these issues and to support local organisations in doing that as well. And although in some ways this decision in Assault's case uh, leads the way globally on some of these issues, it's really important that the other regional human rights systems, for example in Europe and in Africa, and indeed the UN treaty bodies who make decisions about about human rights cases as well, that they also continue to develop their own thinking on these issues as well. Thank you to Rupert, Charlie, Julie and Chris and thank you all for listening. You can read more about the cases on Redress's website at www.redress.org and continue to support the important work of obtaining redress for survivors of torture.